You're listening to the Philly Maker Fair podcast. My name is Laura Cheneau. And I am Valerie Chiguendo. And I'm Jeremy DePrisco. We're here celebrating the creators, builders, inventors, and artists that bring their visions to life at the Philly Maker Fair. This week, we're talking with Steve Kors. Hello. Steve is a mixed media artist and musician who lives in the South Jersey, Philly area. Welcome, Steve. Nice to be here. Excited to chat with you. We're so happy to have you. So we know you work in a variety of media materials. Uh, Would you like to describe the work that you do so that our audience uh, understands it? Yeah, I... um... I mean, I guess I kind of started out in in high school. I I decided that I couldn't paint and I couldn't draw without actually ever doing any painting or drawing to decide that. <laughs> um, so I I did all clay sculpture in high school and it was all received very well. But then for my final grade, everything exploded in the kiln <laughs> and I failed art. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I switched. And when I went to sixth form college, which is kind of like your high school, but it's like a pre-college for us. I switched to film studies and communication, uh, film studies and media studies. And then I started doing video art. And in college, I went on and did film and communication. So I did more video art and more kind of performance art stuff. Um, And then what I do now, after I'd lived here for a few years and got a house and settled down and had the time to get doing stuff again, I was like, I want to try painting. So I started out just trying to paint with I got a bunch of paint and I would use kind of whatever tape to hand to paint on because I didn't really know what I was doing um and I I like it that way I like it to be kind of a playful exploratory process um and so in general I would say I I kind of follow the uh, kind of bricolage kind of theory of like make something out of nothing what do you have to hand and so for a long time my main art supply store was a hardware store mm-hmm. and I would just buy different things from the hardware store and make stuff out of them sometimes it was inventions sometimes it was inventions that don't really do stuff um, but it was always something and and kind of my whole thing is it doesn't really matter what you make it's good for you to make it yeah so <laughs> I after a while I kind of developed uh I I did some experiments with some old pieces of plastic out of some cheap picture frames and tracing on them and then painting on those. And then I moved up and just, I was like, where's a good material where I can do this. And it's, you know, strong. And I switched to uh, polycarbonate. Um, And then I ended up with this big stack of paintings. I didn't know what to do with them. And my ex-wife used to go and sell crafts at first Friday in old city when they still used to let you vend on the street with no permit. (laughs) To my knowledge, they no longer do. Um, and I started, I, I made an agreement with my work that every first Friday they would let me out at noon. Nice. <laughs> and so I would get home, I would get all my pictures, I would jump on Patco, carrying all my pictures, walk down to Old City and set my stuff out in the street. And then I met a bunch of other people in this one alleyway I used to set up with all these other artists. Um, and it was really cool because even if I didn't sell anything, I'd get to go and hang out with all these other people, see what they made. They could give me ideas for other stuff to make. And it gave me a reason to make new stuff every month. Because every time I came out, I was like, well, I don't want to have nothing to show anybody. And it didn't really matter if I was trying to sell it or not. I was just, I wanted to have something to talk about. Mm. So I just kind of kept making it. And then 
off the back of that, I did a couple art shows, sold some stuff there. So Steve, you and I met through the electro music community, um, playing music. And I understand that you, I actually know you more as a musician, but then as we got to know each other, I learned more about your art. And, um, I know that you also work with Beardfest. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Beard Beardfest, not Beerfest, <laughs> and no how beard. you got, no. how you got I mean, there involved. is there is a beard named after the festival that uh, Toby Brewing <laughs> makes. Actually, oh, just, okay. just to plug a local brewery, they 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 do make the festival beer, which is which is called Beerfest. Oh, okay, oh, nice, all right, um, interesting. So, so it, it's 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 not completely not involved. Um, so Beardfest has been going on for a number of years. It actually started out in. Um, well, I mean, I, I can't talk about Beard Fest without talking about Out of the Beard Space. Mm. Out of the Beard Space are the band that started Beard Fest. They're uh, kind of a progressive rock band, jam band from the South Jersey area. And it, it actually started out as kind of more of a house party in the guitarist's mother's backyard. And they knew a lot of musicians. They built a stage. They had a bunch of people come over. Uh, I don't know if the first year was the first year that Rumpus began, but I think it was. And they just painted on sheets that were on boards um, while the bands played. And then from that backyard party, it's now grown into a festival that happens at Paradise Lakes Campground in Atco. Uh, this year it is June 16th to the 18th. And there will be more than 30 bands on two stages. And that covers, and it's an arts and music festival. So they have workshops too on everything that you can think of. In addition to having all the previous years, fabric murals by Rompus are, are usually hung up or different arrangements of them while they also paint new ones behind the bands. So as you watch each day of the festival, there's a mural growing in the background behind the stage and that's backlit. So when you see us painting behind there, you'll see our silhouettes and you'll see the paint appearing on the fabric. It's really cool. Hmm. And for us, it's great because we don't have to be around people <laughs> and we can be backstage with just the people that we know or we feel comfortable and all of us social anxiety people have a, a place to be where we're near the music and we can all have our big headphones on to protect us um, and kind of have our own little dance space where nobody bothers us and we just paint. So we're, we're happy. <laughs> it keeps us happy. Cool. Um, but yeah, as far as music, uh, it's there's a lot of everything from electronic through jam bands, funk bands, um, uh, some bigger names these days as the festival gets bigger. Um, but it's it definitely worth checking out. It's, it's a fantastic festival. It's amazing. <laughs> Tell me more about uh, Rumpus. Rumpus is the basically the art team of Beardfest, although they've done other festivals in the past. These days, it's more kind of Beardfest-centric because it literally takes from when Beardfest ends to when Beardfest begins to put that much stuff together. <laughs> and to, especially during a pandemic, to find that much fabric that's specifically the right kind of fabric for us to use and things like that. So there's a lot of logistics involved. Um, but my my partner is actually uh, more of a senior member um, and she she paints with me too, but she's, she's kind of the logistical genius that kind of runs that whole thing um, mm. as far as materials go. But um, 
and then I came in in 20, 20, no, 2019, because it wasn't a pandemic. <laughs> um, so I was there 2019 and 2020, but 2020, I didn't paint the murals. I did what, what we called the everybody paints scrim. Scrims are basically our big pieces of fabric that we paint on. Um, so, and I'm, I'm probably going forward, that's probably going to be my role. Uh, so, because that means I get to paint it before everything starts. That's <laughs> pressure for me. So, nice. um, last year, it meant I was basically up in a barn till about three in the morning by myself and some mosquitoes listening to the <laughs> bass painting. Uh, I do basically a grayscale uh, kind of black and white mural, and I leave lots of space on it, and it gets put out near the second stage with a bunch of paint and a bunch of brushes at the beginning of the festival. So across the rest of the festival, all the people at the festival get to paint all over my painting. Mm. So by where I leave the negative space and the way that I arrange it, I can kind of coax, like say like, oh, I want something to happen here. I leave some space for it here and some kind Very of inspiration. Cool. And then I get to see what happens. And when you have that many people, <laughs> like an entire festival touching it, you really don't know what's gonna happen. Um, but it always ends up pretty cool. It's nice. It's kind of like making a firework and then you just leave it there and then somebody else lights it and you get to watch it go. And the <laughs> explode. Very exciting. Yeah. I love so that. But it's, you have to, I think, I think it works perfectly for my personality because any art that I make is, is because I feel I need to make it. And I, I like to encourage other people to make stuff too. And the same way with my music, when I collaborate with people, I like to collaborate with basically anybody who wants to, whether they can play an instrument or not. Mm. I like to find something that they can play with, even if they're not like musically playing the instrument, if they're just kind of playing and exploring it and doing something, then that in itself is, is valid. And it's, and the way that I, the way that you set up your instruments or your pedal board, if it's a guitar or something like that is just like the same thing that I do with the everybody paints scrim. It's, or if you're making like a generative patch for a synth that's going to sit there and come up with something, you're basically setting a bunch of rules and then you let it do its thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody paints is basically that in painting form and doing that with other instruments. I'll put different colored tape on keys of a keyboard and say, when I say green, you only play green. When I say orange, you only play orange. <laughs> and so it's, I'm, I like to kind of, if someone doesn't know how to play, I like to kind of bring them in and make them part of the machine and then just kind of program them. Nice, nice. It, it's uh, funny, I was looking at your Instagram and Facebook pages and also the Beard Fest, and I found there's a piece of artwork you do that, not a piece, a couple, several of them that are like, uh, there's some silhouettes and shadows and some lights and all a combina in combination creating some really beautiful work. Can you tell us more about those? Yeah, I think that might have been... Um... Well, I do a lot of, I've been doing a lot of more photography stuff this year because it feeds into the video that I make for my live streams, mm -hmm. um, which has kind of become the kind of collection of everything together has been live streaming for me because it means I can do video, animation, audio, I can connect the audio, map the synths to the visuals, map the audio to the visuals, and it's just, everything is just as connected as complicated as I can get it for no real reason other than to do it. Um, 
but I think what you might be referring to is uh, City Beard was the first full festival that um, that Beardfest did, and for the after party for that, I did the projection uh, during the nighttime gigs, mm. and that was I didn't have an overhead projector, so I I made myself one out of a, a digital projector and an old VHS camcorder, and then I pointed that at a piece of paper and I had a bunch of um, like pieces of clear plastic and I just kind of hand drew live on that and then overlaid them and moved them around and then I had a color changing light on it mm. and then in between the projector and the screen I had people dancing and making silhouettes too <laughs> so on the outside it just looked like a bunch of projection but then every now and then people would come and peer behind the screen and they're like whoa there's a whole bunch of people back here like physically doing stuff and I don't know. It's kind of like the, you know, the Oz magic of, <laughs> of I know, I know how it's, I know it's how it's happening. And, and <laughs> I don't know. It's, I've, I've always kind of done a lot of backstage work. Like even in high school, I was doing stage crew stuff and lighting stuff. And I don't know, there's just something really cool about being the invisible person that can make somebody go, <gasps> <laughs> even if they don't get to see you ever and you don't really get to see them knowing that that happened is kind of enough. Back uh, before the pandemic, when uh, we got together, you were showing me some of your artwork that involved um, painting on glass. And then there was like a yeah. re reverse image. Can you talk a little bit about that technique? I'll get a piece of Lexan. And I, I kind of developed this style because it was the, it's the fastest way to get something out of your head and onto a canvas or onto a piece of glass. And I use, I use Lexan, which is polycarbonate instead of glass because it, it takes paint pretty well, um, and it's it's really, really resilient. Like, it'll get scratched up, but you can always buff it out. Um, so when I used to go put stuff on the street, it was just the best material to use, was acrylic paint on uh, acrylic plastic. But I'll usually start by either drawing something, drawing something big, and then I'll trace it on with paint markers, acrylic paint markers. So that's my line work. Line work goes on first. Then when I color in detail or do texture, that's the second part. And that'll be with brushes and I can paint that. So I don't really have to worry about it. At that point, it's like a coloring book. Once all of the features are filled in, then as I go over the background, that'll be a spray paint layer. So that I can do fades and I can use uh, um, like templates and things yeah. behind it. So I can block out the color or I can fade it. And cool. the other cool thing is that also seals everything in and protects it. So that when you look through the glass at the front, you can see the line work, you can see the fill work, and you can see the backgrounds. But from the back, you're only going to see the, the colors that I sprayed on that are holding everything in. Um, Very cool. So it's, it's, it's a big, it's a multi-step process. But the cool thing is that because it involves tracing, anybody can do it. It's, it's really, the art is in the composition and your idea. The technical part is just, you follow the steps, you really can't screw it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can teach anybody, I can teach anybody to do it and theirs will come out looking as good or better than mine. Theirs will never be mine because theirs are their ideas, mine are my ideas. Exactly. So right. I, I've never been scared of anybody copying me because mm -hmm. unless they can get in here and you don't <laughs> want to do that, <laughs> then, um, then, uh, then they're not going to produce my artwork. So it's, 
and, and I think everybody has a right to produce artwork and everybody has a need to produce artwork, whether they realize it or not. It's, it's whatever you produce, it's a good thing and it's good for you. And, and I, 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 if there's one thing I believe in life, it's that. I 100% agree. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you show your work and you get to work with other people, how do they respond to your work? Um, people are usually kind of intrigued because it's kind of novel. I've never run into anybody else that does it the way that I do it uh, on most of the ways that I do things because I wasn't taught. I just kind of found so, so I've kind of taken a weird kind of like feral route to get to where I am. Um, so people usually want to know, like, how do I do it? And then I just tell them and then they kind of go, oh, and it's like explaining a magic trick. It's not as exciting. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, no, for the most part, um, a lot of people like it. A lot of people think a lot of my artwork's just kind of plain weird. They don't really get it. There's not really anything to get uh it's just stuff that I like um or that I find amusing or that just kind of like gets some kind of an emotional reaction out of me um, <laughs> every now and then I'll feel like I have you know something to say but it's it's usually just make stuff it's usually just explore and play and explore and play and learn and that's that's really all I'm ever trying to do is just play <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i love that you're you're all about you know everyone has something to make it's not great art or whatever art is just make something that you know you want to make and that's the that's the idea that's and, yeah that's that's always been like half my struggle because it's there's a part of me that's completely anti-commercial that never wants to do any like never wants to even <laughs> show anybody anything and then there's a part of me that's like, you have to show people things to encourage them to do things. Um, mm. And I should all, and I also need to show other people things because not only is it important to make stuff, it's important to like yourself enough to want to show the stuff that you've made. Nice. So it's, I've always had a hard time with wanting to show people my things because I had a hard time throughout high school of people telling me my things weren't good enough or like, why can't this kid work this out? Or, well, you know, he talks a really good game and he seems really smart in class, but then he doesn't hand his work in. And it's like, yay, dyslexia. <laughs> so it's when you've had a bunch of people constantly giving you rejection, it's very hard to want to show things to people. So that's, that's kind of something I make myself do at this point. And it's even still, I have a hard time with it. My, the albums I put out on Bandcamp tend to be, I'll, I'll call them sketches in a year, and it'll just be the stuff that I made this year. And I won't always name the tracks because I'm kind of like, there's a part of me that's just like anti-naming. Like it's an instrumental <laughs> track. Let people call it what they want. Don't, don't tell them what to think. How dare you? So, instrumental um, track, 9,992. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of consecutively numbered. Yeah. And I, and it's the problem is that's how I save my audio files too. So I have, I just have folders and folders fulls of, full of one, two, three, four, or even worse, just like, oh, you've got to save it because I have something else to do. So what uh, I'll just call it. <laughs> I have so many wow. files that are just called of me smashing my hand on the keys, pressing save and rolling. Wow. And then I find them seven years later and 
get back to work on it. I like it. Yeah, you're not taking but it I too seriously. I try not to beat myself up about it too too much. It's just kind of like continue <laughs> progressing, continue improving, continue adding layers of complication. Like that's that's where I'm expending my energy as opposed to worrying about it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's very easy to worry about stuff. So yeah, yeah. So are there any know. any makers, creators uh, that inspire you? Oh, tons. Um, as far as art goes, I kind of really got my start with Eve Klein. Um, when I was when I was younger, I went to the Museum of Modern Art in Nice in France, and they had uh, they have a like I think they had a whole floor, maybe two floors, dedicated to Eve Klein, with mm. like just massive monochrome, just rolled blue walls and some texture <laughs> walls and things like that and just just the idea that simply a color is enough on its own when presented in its purest form and you just really really pick the shade like that's enough and i just that idea of something that small being enough is just it's just beautiful because everything's enough mm. um so like literally whatever you do, if you do it with intention, it's enough. <laughs> so that's, that's always been kind of huge. But then um, just a lot of other artists around Philly, like um, DT uh, is, uh, is a guy who, who put me in a group show. And I used to hang out with him at First Friday. And um, he put together a bunch of, gr- a bunch of group shows for people. And he's, he's, just always out there doing stuff he i don't know if you know him he's um he'll leave clipboards around town in in different places for people to get with like bike cogs and um lots of kind of angular lines and uh and lots of spray painted stuff and lots of kind of printmaking stuff um and kind of pinstriping type things but he's he's always coming up with kind of something new something fun something interactive something where it's like where you're interacting with the world either you're interacting with the materials the place or the people in the place or all three and that's that's kind of like that rolls into like my belief system of just like just go out there set like lighting fuses (laughs) (laughs) just going like how much of an impact can i can i make even if people don't know who i am at the end of it if i made five people make art that's worth it. That's awesome. Yep. Whether they know who I am or not, it's I made the world a better place in five places if I did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whether you're making it a better world or just, you know, making stuff in general, what's your perfect day look like? Um, just kind of tooling around. Uh, <laughs> either, either making music or sitting down and having a draw or usually bouncing between making video drawing animating because when i make music i noticed that i i didn't have much time because i've always had very 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 long hour jobs so i didn't really have time for perfect i didn't really have time to multi-track my recordings or do multiple takes until i get it right or anything like that so i kind of started out with like all right well we do one take one take of each instrument and we line them up and we leave the mistakes in because the mistakes are beautiful. Um, and then 
once I kind of discovered loopers, then I discovered that I could do a whole bunch of tracks at once <laughs> and not worry about the mistakes in those and do it even faster. And then once I discovered loopers and MIDI loopers to loop and automate my synth, then I was like, oh, wait, I can literally come in here, like maybe pre-make a couple of elements or collect up some samples and things, and then just go completely improvised and because I have structure built into the fact that I'm using loops, then I can just kind of, I, 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 I'm playing music. Literally, it's me playing and having fun and music happens. <laughs> so when I do, when I do the live streams, usually I'll have like, a, I'll have some drum loops pre-made. I have a lot of patches pre-made and I'll kind of do all that stuff and make a bunch of weird sounds and line up my pedals and arrange my gear and, as far as I'm concerned, the way that you arrange your gear, the way you patch your gear, that's composition. That is the composition phase of me making music is where did I put it? Because if I put a keyboard where it's hard to reach, I'm gonna play that one less. If I put it where it's right in front of me, I'm probably gonna interact with that one more. So that's, that's really where composition happens. And then I'll have a vague idea and then I'll just go. And that's why I tend to, when I do live streams, I haven't really gone north of a half hour set because I'll kind of run out of steam after about a half hour. And if I think I'm preparing for a 20 minute show, I've probably prepared seven minutes material. And <laughs> the rest will be me just kind of like trying to surf to the end without falling off. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's kind of like the fun of it really is because I don't know what's going to happen next and I don't know if it's all going to go wrong, but it usually doesn't. And I have enough, I make enough video that I can usually distract in this direction when this hand <laughs> is screwing up and distract you in the other direction when my other hand is screwing up. So it's, it's a lot of like slate of hands involved mm -hmm. uh, and trickery, but it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of keeping everything fun really. Cause it's, it, I don't do this to get rich. I do this to stay sane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love this because, um, and it, so many things you said really caught my attention, you know, mistakes are beautiful. You know, very often people who are very busy with day jobs, you know, the one thing is, Oh, I don't have time, but you, you make it work. And you, if you yeah. If you don't worry yeah. about mistakes, you have time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Everybody exactly. has time to make mistakes. Yes, true, true, true. So right, <laughs> and it's and it's good to make them. It's good to make them in a safe environment once in a while too, because it's, mm -hmm. it's just just teaches you that it's like, ah, you know what? We can we can recover from this. Yeah, we can recover from a lot of things. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to be an artist, or was there something else? I can specifically say that when I was in kindergarten, if you'd asked me that question, my answer would be one of those guys that climbs telephone poles. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was obsessed with that. Nice. Um, I think I spent elementary school and high school, I'd always been told like, you know, everybody's good at something. Nobody ever says, but some people are mediocre at lots of things. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and until I realized that that's a thing and that's okay. Um, and if that's what you are, then you should be a facility manager or an artist or a musician. Um, or maybe all three. 
And that's the perfect combination. If you, if you just cannot decide what to do and you're good at picking up new stuff, but you're not really good at getting deep into it and going full mastery. Um, Cause I don't, I wouldn't say I've really ever mastered anything, but I've definitely come up with my own methods mm-hmm. for everything. And if you, you know, if you have your own way and it gets it done and it's different and it's interesting, then as long as you're not like a surgeon, <laughs> that's, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bad route to be a <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so uh, now, do you have any questions for the maker community? I don't know. I haven't really left my house in two years, so I'm kind of I'm really out of touch <laughs> at this point. Just kind of like you know, where is everybody? What is everybody doing? Can I leave my house yet? Um, I would love to to do some art shows. Uh, I think I had a bunch lined up in 2020 and they Mm -hmm. all either got cancelled or they still happened, but I didn't go. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm hoping hoping this year is the the year that I can kind of go back out and start doing stuff again. So this year, I think I have lined up. I'm going to be doing Beard Fest and also Carnival of the Arts which I did in 2019. They've recently just moved to a new location and that's like a Pennsylvania. Um, that's gonna be in Kempton Fairgrounds, uh, Kempton PA, September 1st to the 4th. And they actually have another one in California this year too. Um, oh, cool. Which I don't think I'd be going out that far this year, but who knows. And that one, um, that's like an artist for an art first festival so they have a lot of bands and things but every music stage has the main music stage has two art stages either side of it for live painters and then because I'm very very slow when it comes to live painting I think when I did mine I was on the stage for one band and then I just moved off the stage down to the floor and carried on for the rest of the day (laughs) and nobody really minded Um, but I'd like to get involved with kind of doing more big installations and kind of collaborative stuff Nice. But as of right now, I'm looking to buy a house because I'm living in a condo and I don't have a backyard to paint large things in. So mm. that's been kind of tough. Mm. Um, so I'd like to have some room because um, I even even at work, actually, they 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 we have one big wall in a new office that needed to feature on it. And the architect presented us with some designs. And I was just like, let me give you one. <laughs> and they gave a design to my boss and she was like, you can totally do that and put five eight by four flex, like plexiglass panels floating on the wall nice. with, um, with the OCT scans from like retinal scans painted across it. Um, but I have nowhere to paint an eight by four panel right now. Mm. So that's not going to happen until I do. <laughs> the house prices just continue to skyrocket so I, oh yeah i don't know when that's going to happen uh at some point i guess i have to make a decision as to whether i'm just going to look for studio space to rent instead so that i can just get back to it mm-hmm. but other than that i've uh, taken over my partner's living room it's now <laughs> home to several miles of midi cable and uh mm-hmm. a lot of cameras and screens and uh ink and paint and things like that and I, I try not to make a mess but I can't do anything large 
Um, yeah. So that's why I've been getting kind of back into animation lately. I've been doing a lot of stop motion with the like shadow puppets and uh, then running that through visual software to kind of mix it up with the 16 channels of audio that can make it react. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and 10 <laughs> channels of MIDI. <laughs> um, so it's that gets awfully overcomplicated very quickly and when it works it's great and some days I come and just start setting stuff up and the setting up just goes on mm -hmm. and on and on and then just goes back around to several rounds of troubleshooting and then <laughs> when you get one thing fixed then something else goes wrong and then so saving that yak <laughs> yeah so that's, that's kind of the fun the, the, the fun of synthesis is uh, <laughs> Endless troubleshooting, but um, originally I'm uh, I was a HVAC mechanic for about eleven years, so um, like troubleshoot and and uh, lighting, I did theatrical lighting for a long time since. So I, mm -hmm. in my job life, I have a long history of of troubleshooting being troubleshooting. kind of the main aspect of my job. So it's it it kind of helps that it's also my hobby. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything you wish we'd asked you? Um, don't think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, no, I don't think so. I think we're good. Um, I mentioned Carnival of the Arts. I've mentioned uh, Beardfest. Oh, I haven't mentioned the Electrozone, which is where I stream on uh, on Twitch. Yeah, why don't you tell us about Electrozone? So Electrozone is uh, based in Ithaca, New York. And it's run by uh, a wonderful group of people up there. And it's, uh, it's a part of the greater electro music community that Jeremy is also part of. Because um, we also have other groups down in, uh, I mean, well, I definitely know that I can kind of, up and down 95, there are an awful lot of different groups going from New York, uh, crossing over to Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, and other things like that. But the Ithaca group is a little different in that they tend to have a bit more of a wider range of things that go in because they'll have, you know, people like kind of more metal people coming in or more punk people coming in. And my music is very diverse as far as genres go. And I feel it just kind of fits there really well um it's a good audience for me because there's a lot of you know it's a lot of kind of the Ithaca crowd um who like obscure and uh, genre bending stuff um because I try to stay away from doing ambient shows because they tend to want me to do more time and mm -hmm. I have a hard time doing too long of a set a half hour I could do, but I mean, I got my start in doing improvisational jazz, which in which case I have other people to react to. And then in college, I was in a, a like a hardcore punk band, and our songs were anywhere from 30 seconds long, average was about a minute 20. And I think our longest song was maybe just over two minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's which was a long time Which for a punk a song. <laughs> it's a long yeah, song. That's, that's like that's, yeah. 
that's like a jam <laughs> compared to the other stuff. Whereas everything else was very, very fast and and like, you know, by the time that my attention span has got onto something else, we're onto something else. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that helps because yeah. otherwise, I tend to move a little bit too fast through my changes to do a long set, and that I'll I'll sit in something and I'll be like, and I just want to tweak it again a bit more and. So some days I can do subtlety, but sometimes I just get a little bit too, ah, and I'm I just change, change, change. Because I also used to DJ when I was in college too, um, which I can do if I plan it out. But the thing is, like, I'm used to DJing at home, and that's like, a lot of that is me playing 30 seconds of a song, and then another one, another one, another one. Another one, another one, another one, another one. And you, you can't do that in public. <laughs> It's not cool. It's like that person you switching the radios in your car. <laughs> Stop yeah. switching the station. <laughs> yeah, like if you're the one chip it, changing channel, it's not it's not jarring. If someone else is sitting there changing channel all day, it's very jarring. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, so ElectroZone mainly, it's it, it, they do run live events up in Ithaca too. Uh, a lot of stuff in like Carver bars and places like that. Um, and then during the pandemic, there's been several shows that have been on loading docks nice. um, or they've been remote shows where, you know, the, the audience can come to here to watch, but the performers are all over here performing. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really nice because it's a really nice little community and everybody is on a chat and everybody's doing 20 minute sets. So it's always a group show. It's always you with other people. So I, I, the social aspect of art is, is huge for me. It's what makes me do it. Um, it's, it's what allows me to come out of the house and have it not just be my thing because then I'm part of something bigger. It's not, it's not me trying to be bigger in front of people. It's me adding my thing to other people's thing to make a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, it's always that social aspect and, and plus E who's kind of the main organizer and host of the show just is someone who has repeatedly called me up and pulled me out of depression and repeatedly told me that I'm good enough. And repeatedly told me when I'm pulling my hair out that like, don't worry, everything will be fine. You can do this and encouraging me to do it in the first place. So I, I, I'm pretty much indebted to him forever or to, to them forever um, because they're just such a massive support. Um, and people just forget and just that people to hang out with. Yeah, people forget that us artists are sensitive, even if we come across as confident. Um, there's a Erica Badu quote, and she's live doing a concert, and she's like, "Remember, I'm sensitive about my work," you know. Yeah. And I think that you know, if you think if she was like in her heyday, and she's still live on stage, like, "Hey, I'm giving you something new, and be kind," you know, because it's very easy to not be kind. So yeah, um, it's nice to have people in your corner. That's, that's one thing I was trying to remember is like, if someone brings me their shiny thing to show me, like, just remember that's their shiny thing and they are showing it to you and being vulnerable. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's okay for you to not like it, but that's their shiny thing. Don't damage it. Mm. Perfect. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I feel exactly the same way. And, you yeah. know, I went to art school. I was taught to talk about it, <laughs> not always positively, but, you know, we all cried in our critiques. That's how it works. <laughs> Sorry for all of you art school students. Yeah, no, I just good. triggered. <laughs> Everybody's trying to forget those critiques. 
Yeah, but, I never had. I never had those. I just had uh, explode. <laughs> um, so I've, I, it was kind of lucky in that I went to college for communication. So we spent all of our time critiquing art. Yeah. As opposed to making it, and then my video end because I was, my teachers were all non-narrative filmmakers for the most part, and we were doing mostly non-narrative film and. And I'd been doing video for a few years by the time I got to college, whereas a lot of the people in my film classes were just starting out. So they were just having their initial ideas that I'd had several years prior to that. Mm. So when they asked us to do a one minute film and everybody else had a lot of people sitting in kind of like diner booths having conversations <laughs> and other things like that, then they said uh, uh, one minute film, no brief. Uh, me and my, my friend Ricardo, uh, both covered ourselves in paint and uh, he painted himself uh, completely head to toe uh, in black paint and covered his eyes. I covered myself in white paint and covered my eyes. I filled my mouth with chocolate syrup and he filled his mouth with vanilla syrup and we <laughs> drooled and danced in front of a big canvas and we made a soundtrack for that that involved uh, 25 layers of me playing scissors <laughs> and 25 layers of him playing bass clarinet he did not know how to play a bass clarinet um, did you know how to play scissors Laylee's, oh, I'm, I'm very good at playing scissors um, and because when we went to put our video on in this in the screening room in the class the volume knob is right next to the uh right next to the play button mm. so we started our audio out like down super low so that we could crank the volume and nobody would notice until we got back to our seats. And there was nobody <laughs> by the volume knob. So that right when we got to the end of the credits, it went from having a very low not low level to slam through the ceiling. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and it just punched everybody in the face with just this white canvas and then these two figures in front of it and in, insanely fast cutting. And I think we followed that up with uh, another one where he was in a wedding dress giving birth to eggs in a, on a squash court. And I was dressed as a pig in the woods, hick, hitting raw eggs with a cricket bat. <laughs> and, and our teachers loved it because every time we were just like, we just have to think of what is everybody else not going to do? <laughs> and that was, that was like our true brief on every project is like, how can we smack them in the face with something that they haven't seen before? How can we give them something that's going to give them a visceral reaction? Yeah. That's just going to be off the charts weird. And, um, and that's, and that's kind of always been my brief really is like, how can I, how can I do something that's going to be novel? That's going to be interesting. That's going to make someone say, what did they do there? How did they do that? Why did they do that? <laughs> and just, you, you're making, you know, making people ask questions, even if they're stupid questions, you're <laughs> setting their brain off okay. and there's sparks going around some ways. And you're, you know, that's where your imagination gets fired off is when you see things that you don't understand. Definitely. So it, anytime you can kind of give somebody something that they don't understand, it's always a good thing. Because yeah. people, some people, they really just kind of become unaware of things they don't know. So you, you have to confront them with something that they really don't understand. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's nonsense. If you confront someone with something they really don't understand and point out that you do not get everything and you do not understand everything and you have more learning to do. 
<laughs> Everybody needs that reminder once in a yeah. while. Um, I tend to try and live with like my knowledge is Swiss cheese and I'm always trying to fill the holes. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm always very, very aware of what I don't know and what problems that that can cause me. And I need to try to plug those gaps, which rolls back into my job. That's exactly how I approach my job. Um, anything that happens at work, I need to fix it, find out what went wrong, find out what I can do to stop it from happening again, how I can design things in future to not allow that to happen. And for me to be able to do that, I have to always be learning. Um, so I'm, I'm always, I, I try to dedicate a part of my week to just learning new stuff about stuff. If I run into something I vaguely don't understand, I go and research the crap out of it until I know it. And well, not until I know it, until I know more about it. But knowing more <laughs> means you be, like you get a little bit higher up the hill, you just see the other hills. So it's, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to understand that like, you know what? Commit to lifelong learning. It's, yep. it's necessary. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. I'm glad we got a chance to talk with you and um, looking forward to seeing you in person and uh, perhaps interacting more uh, as uh, things open up. Don't forget to keep learning and get back to making art and music. Thank you for listening to the Fully Make a Fair podcast. We're streaming on all platforms, so join us each week. Learn more about today's podcast at fullymakeaffair.com. We're social, so keep in touch. You can find us on Twitter as PHLMake. Also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pinterest as Philly Maker Fair, all one word. And be sure to hit the subscribe button for future podcasts. See, See you, you next, next week. week. The opinions expressed by the guests of the Philly Maker Fair podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the hosts or producers. If you enjoy the Philly Maker Fair podcast, please consider making a donation at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com. Search for JD Maker or go to ko-fi.com/jdmaker/tears. Your support helps offset the costs of recording, editing, and maintaining the Philly Maker Fair podcast. Supporters at any of our tiers will receive a shout-out on the podcast and via our social network. Thanks.